This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. What is it like to cover some of the most notorious criminal cases in Canadian history, to dig into a story and follow the details as it winds through court? And how do the really big cases affect the reporters on those stories? I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. Kathleen Goldar, host of True Crime Byline, a new podcast from Post Media and Antica Productions, joins me to discuss the new show, what listeners can expect, and why stories like this resonate with people. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, we're even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. Kathleen, when we talk about true crime, it's not necessarily a new phenomenon. You know, I grew up watching Dateline NBC, America's Most Wanted, a lot of people have read In Cold Blood, but it seems to be very much having a moment. It's it's extremely popular, and, and so much so that you even have TV series about true crime podcasting. On the comedy side, there's Only Murders in the Building with Steve Martin and Selena Gomez. And when you talk about dramas, Apple TV has a show called Truth Be Told featuring Aaron Paul and Octavia Spencer. And and they both look at these true crime podcast series. Why do you suppose it's a genre that still resonates? And why do you think it's so popular in the podcast space? I know it's a really good question. And I agree with you. I mean, I had somebody asking me that the other day is like this, why is it, you know, having this like explosion? I was like, I actually don't think true crime is having an explosion. I think podcasting is having an explosion because it's such a wonderful way to tell stories. And true crime has always been the thing that we human beings gravitate to. And I think we gravitate to crime for so many reasons, right? I mean, first there is the voyeurism of it, which whether you like it or not, it is partly that. It is always been what reporters and journalists have written about and paid attention to. I mean, if you didn't have crime in a newspaper or on a radio program, you would have very little to talk about and to write about. I mean, there's lots of other stuff, of course, but crime is always the big thing because crime impacts who we are as a society so much. It impacts our sense of safety. We understand systemic issues in our society through the crimes that we decide to persecute, but also the people who get affected mostly by it. And just as a storytelling device, crime has it all. It has characters, it has tension, it has a real arc to it that just at its core is what storytelling is about. So yeah, I don't think it's true crime podcasting that's new. I think it's the medium that's new, but it's just taking something we've always been attracted to and just giving us a new way of listening to it. So that brings us to True Crime Byline, the podcast that you're hosting, which features several post-media journalists and stories that they've covered. What can you tell me about True Crime Byline and how it sets itself apart from other podcasts that focus on crime? Right. So True Crime Byline is literally just speaking, not just, but is speaking to at this, in our pilot stage, the National Post reporters who covered a crime that has some real resonance within the country and within their own careers. 
And so what makes it different is it's not a podcaster going out and covering a true crime like we see happen so much. It's actually going straight to the newspaper reporter who started covering these stories before there were podcasts, a lot of these. Actually, all of them, I think there were no podcasting. Some of these stories have been turned into podcasts and have been brought up on podcasts, but these are reporters who covered these stories from the beginning and who can talk to us about not just covering these stories, but how they impacted their work and their own like humanity. And with that, here's a trailer for True Crime Byline. It's fair to say that true crime is having a moment. Well, maybe a little bit more than a moment. I don't think a week goes by where there isn't a true crime podcast at the top of the charts. And I admit, I'm one of those diehard fans that might be keeping them there. But with few exceptions, these stories are reported somewhere else first. Often, a dogged newspaper reporter has been following the story for months or even years before a podcast team shows up with their microphones. The way I like to work is sort of more holistically. If I'm covering the murder, I also want to cover the trial and then maybe a parole hearing down the road or maybe the death of that offender even eventually down the road. But what we don't really hear about is what it's like to actually do that work, to knock on those doors and talk to witnesses, to sit in a courtroom for months on end and get to know the victim's family. He said to me, people like my sister are expendable. People just don't care about her. To grapple with the hard ethical questions about what to publish and what to leave out. This was a high point for me in my professional life. And in a minute, it was a nightmare that I had published something that was going to destroy this trial. And when all those choices are made and the story is published, it's their name that goes on top their byline. So in this podcast, we're going behind the byline. We'll talk to journalists about the stories that made their careers, the cases that changed the way they see the world, and the crimes that continue to haunt them. It's tragic, right? You could see the freight train coming and you couldn't stop it. From Post Media and Antica Productions, this is True Crime Byline. Subscribe wherever, well, you know what to do. You just heard a trailer from True Crime Byline from Post Media and Antica Productions. Looking at the lineup for this first season, we see some very familiar cases. We see names like Paul Bernardo and Robert Pickton. But there are some cases that Canadians may not be familiar with. I'm just wondering if you can walk us through what listeners can expect this season. Sure. So like you said, we do have a story from Lori Colbert of the Vancouver Sun talking about the work she did with Robert Pickton. And we do speak to Tom Blackwell about Paul Bernardo. But some of the other ones that we talked to, we talked to a guy named Joseph Breen, who is also with the National Post. And he covered the murder trial of a kid named Jonathan Madden, who was killed by his brother. And the The story itself is very sad and absolutely devastating and says a lot today about childhood abuse and that kind of stuff. But the most interesting part of that story is that how Joseph Breen's reporting affected the trial. I don't want to give away too much, but basically it was a Google search and everything changed. Hmm. (laughs) So that that's a great story. Another story that we talk about is a story from the prairies by Regina Leader Post reporter Barb Petrolik, who 
brings us the story of Joanne Wilson, who was killed by her husband, who was a very well-known cabinet minister in Saskatchewan at the time. And the thing that I love about the story is that a lot of these stories are older stories. Decades have gone by and we're able to look at them in a new way or in a holistic way. So it was obviously a case of domestic violence. At the time when she was killed, everybody was kind of shocked that she was killed. But if you go back and look at what her life was like before the murder, she was open about the domestic abuse happening in her home. Mm -hmm. And so it's a really interesting way to look and sort of see how we've shifted and how we change and how we look at intimate partner violence and the response to it and what has changed and then what hasn't. Another couple of interesting ones are this amazing case of a ultra-Orthodox Jewish group called Lev Tahor that had set up their community in a small town in Quebec. And when the Montreal Gazette reporter at the time started looking into them, it was because they had basically up and vanished one night after getting on the wrong side of child services in Quebec. And he does a big investigation into who they are and they have an international scope. And it's a real question about religion versus so-called cults and how government and child protective services can manage when you use religious right as your reason for keeping people away. And then the last one we talk about is with Adrian Humphreys. And we talk about the murder of Tim Bosma, who was killed in 2013. He was selling his truck online and he met two guys online and went for a test drive and he never came back. And we look into Adrian's long, long reporting of this story and of the men who killed him and just exactly who they were and why they were able to get away with this and some other killings in the past. We'll be right back. We talk about the fact that, you know, these are journalists who covered these cases, in some cases from start to finish. I know Adrian Humphreys has talked about taking a holistic approach to these cases and wanting to cover the investigation and the trial and potentially parole hearings and whatnot. When we talk about some of these cases, and they're pretty horrific, what do the, the journalists say about how these cases have affected them as journalists either or personally? Like everything, everybody sort of had different responses to it. Tom Blackwell, who covered the Bernardo trial, basically said he's done everything he can since to forget about it because it was so hard on him to sit through what they had to sit through. Of course, he unfortunately had to talk to me uh, for this, but um, he went back to trying to forget about it. Joseph Breen talked about how devastated he was that he affected a trial by his reporting at the time, but that over time he's come to realize that without doing what he did, an innocent man might have gone to prison. And so he sort of shifted. The thing that all of them talk about, and it's something that I used to be a reporter uh, as well, and I used to cover a lot of crime and justice stuff, is that every story you do tends to influence the next story you do. And it tends to give you a better sense. And as you start to sort of understand systems and issues that exist sort of within the country and the way people are treated by certain systems in our country, it starts to change how you report and what you look at and the way you you write or speak or how you approach a story. So all of them sort of said that in time and as they got more and more experience, these stories affected 
the way they reported that way. And is that what you feel makes a show like this compelling to listeners, something that they may gravitate towards because it's, you know, discussing, I guess, the human toll of the people who are covering these pieces? Yeah, I think so. I think it's interesting, you know, because in podcasting, what happens is the host becomes a real character in the storytelling. And so your humanity comes out that way, because in podcasting, we've been sort of told you're allowed to tell everybody who you are and how you're being affected by telling the story. Mm -hmm. But in newspaper reporting, you know, it's changing, but there is a real sense that you are just there to report the facts and to be disengaged. So the reader's response to that stuff can be either you don't think about who's writing it, or if you don't like what you're reading, you think that they're being either idiots or they're lying or whatever the case may be. But what this does is it brings to the forefront that even though these reporters are keeping their emotional response to these stories out of those written stories, they actually did have a very human response to these stories. I mean, Lori Culbert covered for years the missing women in Vancouver and the police not caring or taking it seriously. And of course that impacted her as a human and as a reporter, but she didn't really put that in the newspaper pages at the time. But what this does is it brings that quote unquote third wall down and it introduces people who read the paper and who just don't really understand what a reporter's job means. It brings that closer to the surface and it allows people to understand that these are people with feelings who actually really care about this stuff. The reason most of us get into this is because we actually really care about these kind of stories. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what this is really doing really nicely. And one of the things that I find interesting about the approach to this show is the idea that we're not just trying to dredge up the past and present this as a historical document. These are cases that have had ripple effects in Canadian society. I think about the Robert Picton case and the whole issue around missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. I think about, you know, you mentioned domestic violence. How does the show approach these issues that are kind of ever-present in Canadian society? Because we talk about it. I mean, a lot of the work that I do and, you know, really feel strongly about is bringing a feminist approach, bringing an open approach to like the idea that there is racist systemic issues in our society, domestic assaults and domestic like gender, intimate gender violence, like intimate partner violence is there just because we didn't either know about it or talk about it at the time. So these stories that were covered at one point without that lens, we're talking about it now. And so it's bringing that to the forefront. And you're right, things like, uh, you know, the the missing and murdered women in Vancouver has changed a lot, has changed a lot of our understanding. And as you know, hopefully, eventually, over time, we'll start to continue to see some better changes for people in this country. But yeah, I mean, that's 100% a big part of what makes this. And so it's bringing fresh light and fresh eyes to these stories, for sure. As someone who's worked as a journalist, who's worked as a podcast producer, what for you was the big takeaway from this season of True Crime Byline? It's interesting. I I don't know how to quite say that because I like everything about it and I'm feeling like, oh, I don't want to say one thing. But every time, and maybe you've had this and you sort of alluded to it too, is that you think that there's so much out there in the podcast world, right? There's so much content, so much true crime. But every time I mention this new podcast to people, and I'm not talking reporters, like I'm talking like non-media friends, but true crime lovers, they're like, oh, that's awesome. There's nothing else like that right now. And so for me, the takeaway was we actually maybe 
found a new niche in true crime podcasting, which I think is amazing <laughs> because there's so much out there. So that to me was a big takeaway. And True Crime Byline launches June 23rd, and that's anywhere you can find podcasts, correct? Anywhere. Excellent. Kathleen Goldar, thanks very much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you. 10.3 is produced by Sean Knox, theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Kathleen Goldar. You can find True Crime Byline from Post Media and Antica Productions wherever you're hearing this podcast. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.